Welcome to Lowering the Rim. We're talking about cracks, man. <laughs> this is Lowering the Rim, a podcast about the NBA from a fan's perspective. We're five brothers, Drew, Nick, the twins, Caleb and Keegan, and I'm your host, Ian. Today, we have a special guest, a popular voice on NBA Twitter, a voice for Bay Area fans and ready to defend anyone who challenges Golden State's greatness. Today, we have at Urkel9 with us, so let's get into it. Let's go. Urkel, are you there? I'm here, sir. What's going on? Not a whole lot, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. So, can we just dive right in? I want to know, how did you become a voice on NBA Twitter, specifically for the Golden State Warriors? I have been on Twitter since 2009, right? Um... I've been more more so like a Steph Curry fan. So I moved to the Bay Area probably about 2007, 2008, right? So I used to always go to the Warrior games and they were hella cheap, right? So I would always go and watch the games and so forth, right? So, um, so I was there like when they sucked and the tickets were cheap. So it was great, right? Because you would buy like, $25 tickets and then you would sneak down into the lowers and then I was doing all of that stuff. So, so I was, um, I moved to the Bay area like a season after we believe. Right. So when they drafted Steph, I used to watch Steph and, and Steph, like, like from when I was watching Steph in college, I knew that Steph was just, he was different. Like, there was something different about Steph. So fast forward, I moved, out of the Bay Area. Things got crazy in the Bay Area. So I moved out, came back to Phoenix about 2013, right? So at that point, I'm like fully invested now, right? Because Steph started to get healthy and he was just different, right? So, and then every time he came to Phoenix, I would just go to the games, right? And then the next season, he just went to another level. But he always drove me crazy because, you know, he would do all this flashy shit, turn the ball over and all of that, right? So hmm. by no means am I telling you, like, I expected to see him do what he did in 2015, but you could see the progression. And then it got to the playoffs that year, and I was, like, flying to L.A. and um, going to games, and, you know, I would go back to the Bay Area and I was watching him, right? So I'm, like, fully invested at this point, right? Then they won the title, right? That really surprised me because usually a team fails, right? Yeah. But I started to look at them like how they played, right? It's like they were 25, 26, and it's like they figured something out, right? Like, And then around 13, 14, I discovered advanced analytics, right? And I started to digest it, know what it meant. So that's when... I knew Steph was doing historical stuff, right? Like yeah. um, with the three ball and the accuracy and stuff. And then I started to compare it to like legends, you know? And I was like, this dude is winning a championship. And then the 15, 16 season happened. And then he was doing like Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan stuff, but he was doing it with a three point shot. Right. Yeah. And, but then 
the defending part now. So the defending part really started that year, right? Like when they won the title and, and people were saying, oh, it's luck and this and that. And, you know, Barkley would come on TV saying that they haven't proved anything, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, and the more people said that is like the more they were fueled and they were just knocking down team after team after team, you know? Yeah. And it was like, like, I don't know if you guys were really following it back then, but that was like basketball nirvana because it was like, they're playing like the game pure and they're just doing things that, that um, teams are not doing. Like, for instance, I'm watching Dame Lillard right now and Dame Lillard is like doing the type of things that Curry was doing like four years ago, right? And right. people are like, oh, Dame is, yeah, Steph was doing that stuff four or five years ago, right? Like, he's in another realm right now. So um, the stuff that they were doing was just unbelievable. And um, I was on Twitter. So this is where the notoriety part came in. Like, I started to say crazy stuff, now, right? So yeah. People so, that were was like, after, so that was after the first championship is, is kind of when you, you really started. Yeah. Something. So, so right around like the first championship, I probably had like six, 700 followers. Right. And then I would start to tell people, I was like, yo, this dude, this dude is, is, is like, is on the cusp of being like a top 15, top 10 type player. Right. I was like, you, you don't find people that go, that win an MVP, right? And then they win a championship in the same year. Like, if you look at it, you know, the last 25 years, maybe three people have won an MVP and won a title in the same year. When I saw him in the playoffs and um, what he was kind of doing in the playoffs, I was like, oh, oh my God, this dude is like, he's averaging like 28 points and he's shooting like 43% from three and it's just stupid. Like, he's thinking like, 10 threes a game. We've never seen somebody take 10 threes a game before and make 40% of them, right? So I was like, this isn't normal, you know? Like, I, I always thought that LeBron had a glitch in his game. Like, if you let him handle the ball and he takes bad shots, right? So when I saw Steph just going toe-to-toe with him, right, and he's not afraid and he's just taking shot after shot, I was like, that is all I needed to see at that point. Like, in my brain at that point, when I saw him going toe-to-toe with LeBron, and he wasn't afraid, he was in the moment, he was doing all of that stuff, I never had any doubt of who the best player in the league was because then I saw, like, like how they were defending him. And I was like, that's not normal. They're defending this dude, like, it's not normal defense. Like, I've never <laughs> seen anything like that before, yeah. right? I think, he's the only, I think he's the only player I've ever seen getting double teamed in an all-star game. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> like you, you, you just don't see that, right? Because if he's like any, if, if he's like 30, 40 feet out, right? You expect him to make the shot. Like, some of these half-court shots that you see him make, like, I expect him to make it, right? So, I Which was is not final. normal, yeah. So, I was at the final last year, right? And um, so, I went to games yeah. one and two, and I think this was game two when he hit that, either game one or game two where he hit that half-court shot. So, I remember oh. I, I was behind the basket, and I was on the team side, right? So, um, he hit the shot. And I just knew to take my cell phone out at that point because I expected <laughs> to go in. So once I saw him get a rebound, I, I, I was like, let me take my cell phone out real quick, you know? And um, I got that video, you know what I mean? And it was wow. amazing because it's like, I cannot describe like when you're at Oracle, right? Like um, 
like how people respond, right? Like, it's like people get up, he rebounds the ball, right? People get up and it's like everyone is holding their hand up and it's like everyone's holding their hand up and it's like three fingers in the air, you know? And I've never seen, I've seen Michael Jordan play live. I've seen LeBron, I've, I've seen all these great players play live, right? And I've never seen a crowd that confident about a shot going in, right? So if you ask me, like, who the best player, there is no doubt in my mind about who the best player is. Like, I think Steph makes everyone better or his teammates better more than anyone in the history of the league, right? So even when people talk about magic. The statistics back that up, right? Oh, absolutely. So, So I think Draymond would have been a really great player outside of Golden State. Like, like I, I, I just think he would have just been that kind of player, right? I don't know that he becomes what he is, where he's like playmaking and doing all of that stuff if, if, they weren't, if it weren't for Steph. Conversely, I don't think Steph becomes that player without Draymond, right? Because when they figured out that pick and roll thing and then it's like that four and three with Draymond, like, like, I don't think another player who can guard centers and do all of that stuff can play make the way Draymond has, right? So, it, like, I think Golden State, they put, like, a good culture and all of that, but I don't think they drafted Draymond with the anticipation of, say, he would have become that type of player, right? Like, I just don't think they anticipated that happening, right? Well, yeah, and you hear that with like certain certain things, you know, uh, certain bands that get together or music groups where it's just like, yeah. how did it, it seem so odd that they were in the same place at the same time? Or you hear that with like technology, you know, these this hotbed of thinkers or leaders kind of created something and they were all in the right place at the right time. It, it definitely feels that way with the Golden State Warriors. In terms of, like, the defense part on that question that you asked earlier, um, when, when you talk about defending, I think people are used to one thing. They've, be, they've, they've seen something. They've seen a mold for 20 years, right? And, you know, six, seven, you know, dribble left, dribble right, pull up, you know, mid-range, elbow, triple threat, all that type of stuff. And you just get accustomed to that being the best player, right? Now, the things that Steph is doing right now, um, if you really understand basketball uh, and spacing and, and how, how he's being defended, it's unlike anything that you've ever seen before. It's, it's almost like watching Barcelona play, right? Um, I don't know if you guys follow soccer. Drew Drew played soccer um, in high school, so he would be more familiar with it. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I don't follow it. The only league I follow is the NBA. Everything else is okay. sort of – I just see the what's hot at the moment. My favorite video game is FIFA, though. So <laughs> For so, 60, for Nintendo 64. <laughs> so imagine, like, making, like, 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 a million passes and everyone is moving in unison and it's just yeah. beautiful, right? Like, like that is the type of environment that he creates, right? Um, I think they'll still be the favorites next year. Uh, do you see a silver lining in uh, Boogie Cousins' injury, or formerly known as Boogie Cousins, Demarcus? <laughs> I do, I do because 
I think what was going to happen is that he would have played well. The team would have given him a big offer. So here's my hope, right, is that he, he comes back, he resigns for like the $8 million, and, and he comes back, and he becomes a better player. I think um, he, um, just from watching him this year, he developed some really bad habits. Um, but he does have the tool and he does have the intelligence to be that type of player, right? I think there's a good chance that Katie leaves, they get cousins, and then they just keep rolling. I don't think a GM is in the position to give someone who tore the Achilles then their, their quad. That's actually a very predictable injury. Um, in the position to take that kind of risk on Boogie. So Boogie's probably in a good position to come back. Um, so I'm yeah, with you. Um, I would still take them as the favorites next year to win the championship. Do you think the Rockets are their toughest competition uh, in the playoffs? And if not, what would the other team be? So even last year, right? I, I, I wasn't afraid of the Rockets at all. Um, last year was a very frustrating series to watch. I think when Andre Iguodala went down, that kind of flipped the series. Um, because if, if, if you remember, right, let me just rewind a little bit. If you remember that game three, they, they ran away with that game three. And then the game four, Steph had that big third quarter and he was shimmying and doing all of that stuff. And they had like a 12-point lead going into the fourth, right? And then, the, then I think Iguodala was hurt. And then all hell broke loose. KD missed a bunch of shots. Steph, Steph missed some shots. Um, so now fast forward. The Rockets have gotten worse defensively, right? Mm-hmm. And um, somebody posted, they reposted a clip of Kobe saying, James Harden can't win this way, right? And I was watching them last night, and I was watching Clay playing free safety, right? Like Clay kind of, um, he was guarding Eric Gordon, but he stayed like four feet away from him. And then when Harden did the pick and roll and Capella rolled, Steph, um, Clay just went like Ed Reed over on, um, <laughs> on Capella. Yeah. And that's kind of what Kobe was talking about. It's like teams know exactly what you're going to do. And when you don't have variation in your offense, um, that's just not going to work, right? Especially a team that they have two guys who can get a bucket any damn time they want, right? So you have one guy who you always constantly have to guard because if you don't guard him, he hits three threes and the game is over. And then you have a guy that he – everyone is a mismatch to him, right? Who, who are you most afraid of for the Warriors this year since it's, it's not the Rockets and the way the this, this series is going, it doesn't look like uh, the Rockets are even as good as they were last year? I am afraid of the Raptors. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid of the Raptors um, because I saw a graphic yesterday, right? And it showed true shooting regular season versus the playoffs, right? And Kawhi went from like 60% to 65% career, right? So – He's the only player that increases from postseason to regular season, right? So I watched him in 2017, and I'm watching him now. 
and the guy just does not miss. He is unbelievably efficient, right? And the shots that he's taking are not traditionally efficient shots, right? He's grabbing the ball at the block, he's backing you down, and he's just fading away, right? It's it like I had a tweet the other day and I was like, this is what Michael Jordan probably would have been like in the playoffs if he had played against like no hand checking. Who I want to be in the finals, I want Boston to be in the finals, and I want I want that first weekend to be in in Oakland that first weekend, right? So then I can just fly in on that Thursday and I spend the whole weekend in San Francisco, you know? So that's what I've been doing since 2015. Yeah, so I was kind of bummed out when I saw James Harden get swiped over the face. I was really bummed out at that because I knew what's going to be said, right? Even though he came back and he played and ironically enough, it was the best game of the series, right? So Yeah, for so, him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, not only that, but, but before they, I saw a stat where before he was hit, he was 0 for 3, and then afterwards he had his best shooting percentage of the, of the two games. Yeah, the it weird, probably just made him, like, slow down and just concentrate more, you know? And, well, the weird thing is when he first came back, I was telling Ian this earlier, there's a clip of when he first comes back, he hits a step back three, pretty immediately and then he does a he does a taunt with his eyes like they got cleared up because he put drops in them yeah and that was the very first play from him coming back I'm a Harden fan um Harden Harden went to Arizona State I went to Arizona State right so I used to go and watch Harden I'm a fan but he drives me insane right like like I just feel like if he spent more time um, not doing that stuff that he does, he would be so much better, right? He is one of three or four people that you can dump him onto any team and they're immediately a top five offense. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, what are, what are your thoughts on the whole um, officiating controversy and how they kind of went all in on that after game one and – I think I, I think it's the biggest compliment to the Warriors, right? And in a way, they're kind of showing their hand in the sense that, you know, you're telling another team that you need to eke out every single advantage that you can just to beat them because you just don't think that you can beat them, right? I think it's the biggest compliment to, to, to the Warriors because – there is a big talent gap there, right? And what the Warriors have, the Rockets, the Rockets just don't have that, right? They, they can't replicate it. They had something close to that last year. Yeah, it's like Aldi cereal, That's if, if you know what Aldi is. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like a bunch <laughs> there, of There's stuff General and, um, Mills and then there's the Aldi cereal. Yeah. What the Rockets analytics have said is the best way – or, well, the most efficient way to play basketball, the Warriors beating them doing basically the opposite, exploiting the mid-range game, not necessarily relying on the three-pointer. Um, and that's where I just think, you know, you can say all you want that your analytics are superb, but it's not, it's not bearing any fruit. Maybe in the regular um, season it is, but. I just think they've just ran into the wrong team, right? Um, 
the fact that Steph can, he plays in such a way that it incorporates other people, it just makes them look super loaded, right? Like where where um, you can make plays off of him, right? So, and there's like a ton of variation in your offense. That's what the, 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 the um, Rockets lack. And I think that's their biggest problem is that they have a team that can just do so many things and play in different ways, right? That they have to rely on like stuff happening, right? What would be interesting is that if they win this series without even going to any type of high pick and roll and running that offense through Steph, I think the Rockets that will do something that will harm that matchup going forward, right? Because if they can't win a series when when the Warriors are like in third gear, basically, right? Or if they can't win a game or anything like that, if if this series ends up in a sweep, right? Um, they might have to start dismantling that team and trying something else. So during this playoffs, people just keep saying that he's not showing up and he's 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 not being the Steph Curry we know. When in reality, his efficiency is through the roof. Last night I saw he was a plus twenty in that game, even though people are saying, yeah, he didn't play very well. Why, why do you think there's that sort of people keep pushing that narrative of him not showing up and not playing well when really the, the statistics show that he, he is playing really well. He's just not having like a 40-point game that looks pretty in the box score. This goes back to 2015, right? Back then, people were like, oh, he's not supposed to win. They got lucky, right? Yeah. So anyone that you see hate right now, they were hating since 2015, right? Or they're like a yeah. LeBron fan or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. So NBA Twitter is kind of separated like this, right? NBA Twitter is set up like you have LeBron fans and then you have everyone else, right? And then you have like pockets of people who support their team, right? Mm. But NBA fans, it's pretty much LeBron fans, then you'll have the Kobe fans, and then you'll have the Kobe fans who like Steph Curry, right? Like, like I'm probably one of those people, right? So you got to get, um, get the MJ fans in there. <laughs> the so, MJ fans are probably the Kobe fans, is what I would guess. The MJ fans are are right in there with the Kobe fans. Like, let let me ask you guys this question, right? How many rings do you think this is going to end up in? I think that they'll get two more. I think they'll get this year, and then they'll get another one. Maybe not necessarily next year. Maybe next year, though. I, I still – like, I'm with you. I think next year they'll be the favorites again because they're going to keep Boogie. But anyway, I think they'll, I think they'll get two more. Yeah, um, I would agree. I think two more is probably a, a safe bet. I think that's, they, could get, they could get more than that, but a lot depends on what happens this offseason and – Seems like there's some questions around, you know, how they're gonna keep the team together moving forward. Uh-huh. I've said, I've said in the past that I think uh, some of the current takes about LeBron, KD, Steph, all of that is prisoner of the moment stuff, and the way people are gonna look at all of this 15, 20 years from now is gonna be quite a bit different than how they look at it now. Um, and by that I mean I think 
the amount of credit and attention LeBron gets, I think will decrease when everyone looks at it in hindsight and the amount of the, the revolutionary that Steph is to basketball will be much more applauded and elevated 20 years from now. So my tweets since 2014, 2015, especially right is, is pretty much um, when you compare this dude to everything else that was going on 25 years ago, what the Celtics were doing, this guy, this team is essentially doing that, right? Um, they win a lot of games, and relative to this competition, they're killing the competition, and you're doing it at a historic level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what you're seeing now is people following the Steph Curry template, right? And, and um, you know, even James Harden is following the Steph Curry template, right? So... Damian Lillard is following the Steph Curry template. So you're seeing people in his era doing similar things, right, that, that he's doing. All these threes and all of that, they're doing that. So I think, like, no one saw this coming, right? Everyone said, oh, it was a fluke and this and that, and essentially it's changed basketball, right? So they just figured something out around this guy that won championships. So – that to me, like, like in my brain, he's a top five player ever, right? You don't win championships and you don't win on this type of level if you're not a top five player. Like, like, like what he's done or what he's doing right now, I think is better than anything that the Lakers were doing and better, and better than anything the Celtics were doing. So if you were to ask me, he's right there with Larry Bird. He's right there with Magic Johnson. Right yeah. there. I, I totally agree with that. And I think um, people want to just say, oh, he's the greatest shooter of all time. And I think that is such an insult when they say that because they know he's better than that. He's better than just the greatest shooter of all time. And I think it'll – That's it, me crazy. Yeah, it's so, it's so stupid. They think they're, like, giving him a compliment, and it's really yeah, not. Why do you think it's so hard for the old heads to accept stuff? Because – um they're wrong about him and it's it's kind of <laughs> like they were wrong and they have been wrong and they've been wrong this whole time right and yeah. it's kind of like you double down on stupidity right so so it's a prejudice that exists right and it's a prejudice that once you've seen something you just have to back your take up and then when someone has a bad game it turns into like you know, confirmation bias. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like it just turns into like this big, aha, see, you know, look what he yeah. did. And then he scores like 40 on like 14 shots. And then you're like, oh my God. And it's like, oh, it's because he had KD or it's because he had Clay and it's because he had Draymond. And it, it turns into the, that whole thing. Like, yeah, they forget, you know I mean? he, they forget he's been doing this since college. Like, this is not new. Yeah, so I just completely forget that fact. And I think I think he's really going to cement it when he like I said before, he's going to win another championship when KD's not there. And that's that's when people will finally just I think be out of like what else can you say now? There's nothing I mean I I, I think KD is crazy for wanting to leave, right? Um I hope he doesn't because 
I don't think you should ever walk away from a winner, especially when you're like in your 30s, right? Ian, Ian always said that Steph was the next revolution. You basically said that earlier. MJ was the last revolution and Steph is the latest revolution in yeah. uh, so, the sport of basketball. So who is your, who's your favorite NBA Twitter follow? Um, it's probably – it's either Andy or Sam. I would say probably Sam because Sam Sam does have some stuff that um, – so between Sam, she, um, which is the um, Warriors World account. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast. Is there anything that you want to uh, plug before we get out of here? No, I don't have anything to plug. People know who I am, so. Yeah. So they can, if, right. if, if, if there are new listeners, they can follow you at Urkel9, right, on Twitter? Yes, sir. And I appreciate the invite, and I appreciate you guys letting me blab for like an hour and a half. Well, it was good talking to you. All right, man. <laughs> All right, I'll see you. All right, bye. It's time for Basketball Today. All right, it's time for another round of Basketball Dash, where Keegan and Caleb are going to break down key phrases in basketball terminology that they may have no idea what they actually mean. So here we go, Keegan and Caleb. We're going to start with ISO ball. ISO ball. ISO ball. That's when you got hit in your family jewels and you put a little ice on it. <laughs> <laughs> ISO ball. <laughs> I totally, I totally concur with that. Great. Next up, bulletin board material. <laughs> Say that again. Say that again. Bulletin board material. That's when you are a good enough player to get on the church announcements. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also concur. <laughs> okay. Concur. It's Steve Kerr. <laughs> All right, next one. Rim runner. I, that, I, <laughs> that's a prequel to Blade Runner. Yeah. That's, uh, that's you got uh, Ryan Gosling and... Uh, oh, what's, I was going to say Han Solo. What's his name? Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Harrison Ford. Uh, they're, out there on the, they're out there on the court. They're just doing weird futuristic detective stuff. It's it's basketball. It's it's basketball in the near distant future. With carbon fiber. With carbon fiber. And uh, Rim Runner. It's PG thirteen. Sorry, I've got no steam within me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just go to Nick's segment. What did we decide to call it? Nicholas's cage or something? Right, in this segment we're just gonna hand it over to Nick Deneff and uh, give him the freedom to talk about whatever he wants. Uh, anything that he found interesting. So, Nick, go ahead and take it away. 
I want to hear Deneff say what he likes about Nicolas Cage so much. Good evening, Nick. You're looking very well tonight. I mean, hard to it's hard to say in a sentence or two, but it's he's so he sells out for every role, you know. He's and sometimes he's terrible, but he's always all in, you know. Sometimes he's great. <laughs> he always great. goes big. He always yeah. Yeah, he goes big. Yeah. He, he commits. He to- he definitely commits. And I mean, a lot of the movies that he's terrible in are terrible movies. You know, for whatever reason, he'll just do anything. I don't know if he's got money problems or what, but when he's in a good movie, he's it, almost always good. I think he just likes acting. I think he just likes. Yeah, it could that. be it. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 interesting. He's fearless, man. This morning I came across this article on the three-pointer that I sent to Drew and Ian. They said it might be a good talking point. This guy was suggesting uh, ways to fix the three-pointer. And I thought one of them especially was compelling. The four things he suggested were... Basically his assumption is that they've kind of taken over the game and they're so efficient and so successful right now to where they're actually blocking out other basketball behaviors that we're increasingly missing. So one of his suggestions is allow goaltending on threes. I don't love that one, but in the beginning, you could actually swat the ball around the rim. They outlawed it because George Mikan was so effective with it. That's gross. second, well... Next. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm not a in love with that one you can still goaltend in Europe it once it hits the rim but um Mm. second is get rid of the corner three another is move the three point point of getting rid of the corner three because it's kind of a it's kind of a cheat code it's the shortest three on the court and so you've got guys posting up there all game because it's the the three-point percentage from there league-wide is almost 40 percent which is high um, mm. it's kind of a freebie uh, so the third was redraw the three point line every year so that the league average is 33% which is an interesting idea it's a lot of math three point line is always moving um, but it's to make sure that we're not getting too good at it that's not my favorite either the one I really like I like pardon Go ahead. I mean, this that that would probably be second, but I, I think you got to get rid of the corner threes. Issue there is you you have your heels on the out, out of bounds line all the time because there's not a lot of space there, which is why they shortened it in the first place. Basically, let every team draw the three point line where it, where it chooses. So if you're Golden State, you move it back a few feet because you've got these bombers who make forty five percent from thirty feet out. You know. Or if you're Boston, I think was the example he used, you, you draw it really tight in around the paint. Uh, or if you want to eliminate it, move it all the way out to half court, basically. has to be the same on both sides of the floor, but you allow teams to customize their court based on their team strengths, which I think is a brilliant idea. I think it's fair. I think it would be a really popular move. Uh, a parallel would be in baseball where teams will build a stadium like the Tigers had a deep outfield. Uh, I think 440 feet 
uh, because they wanted to build around pitching. When teams want to slow down other teams in the infield, they grow the grass out long, they soak the infield, they add extra dirt, you know, they, they, they make a mess of things uh, based on how they want to play. And that kind of customization has been absent in the NBA since, you know, probably the end of the Boston Garden with all its dead spots and stuff. But anything for customization. Um, and I think for every... I think the court size should also be up for grabs. You know, if, if, if you've got a lot of speed, I mean, within limits, have a bigger court. If, 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 if you're going to play slow, a slow grinding style of basketball, have a smaller, more compact court where it's going to force a lot of physical play. Um, but it's something that I, I find myself kind of getting bored with over the course of an 82-game season, seeing every... Home court advantage has become less and less important as um, things have been increasingly standardized, and I, I kind of miss that stuff. We still have a little in baseball. We've got none in football, apart from like the college, uh, wherever the Raiders play. You know, they they share space with the A's, but um, yeah, I think it'd make things a lot more interesting, and it would solve a lot of your three issues. What do you think? I, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, my first one, if a team can customize their court, mm-hmm. is it they they pick what it's going to be for the entire season or can they customize it based on who they're playing so they can change it every single game? Well, that's a, that, yeah, that, that's a great question and it comes down to, I mean, that's something that you could negotiate once you admit customization. I like the idea of saying, look, Golden State's coming to town. Let's take away the three-point advantage. Now, over the regular season, you've got one court. I think series by series, maybe you let people change it up. And it, it just planning and scheming and, and who you run out in the court, all that changes based on where you draw the lines. Um, this is something as a, as a hockey fan that I wish the, the Wings could have done early on is – have a bigger rink because they played fast, skilled hockey in, in, a, in the clutch and grab era. And every four years when the Olympics come around, everybody in America falls in love with hockey because they're watching people play on these huge European rinks where there's wide open, there's this wide open, free-flowing style of play. North American hockey is a grinding, fighting, hitting, very physical, congested style of play where, you, you know, Everything happens close to the net and one side or the other. So a team like Detroit in the 90s would have had a huge rink where they could have been just flying past people instead of being, you know, punched in the back of the head for 60 minutes behind somebody's goal, which was just <laughs> irritating. So Yeah, that doesn't sound... Hey, yeah, Nick, I, I, I've got a question. Yeah. Um, were any of the um, people who do the... Uh, painting of the lines for the court consulted on this idea? I mean, I've seen uh, kind of time-lapse video of them flipping courts. I mean, you, you, you've got a lot of dual-purpose arenas that, that serve bat, the NBA and the NHL. And I've seen NFL fields repainted with a day's notice between a college and a professional game where they have new end zones and a, a new... Um, logo at the 50 yard line i mean the the pace at which guys can flip space is just amazing these days the nfl would be the exception because you have one single game elimination 
and only one team gets a home game in any event, you need a standardized field there. In these seven-game series, let teams let home field advantage mean something. You know, baseball stadiums are still somewhat dimensional. The other two leagues are so standardized; it's taken a lot of the life out of uh, home field advantage. Uh, like in baseball, the grounds crews used to be a major asset. I mean, they would just refuse to cut the grass if they had to, you know, if they wanted to slow teams down. I, I love that. I find it hard to get real excited over different schemes in the same space with the same court and the same dimensions a hundred times a year. Nick, I think I can get on board with this uh, concept if and only if they are allowed to gerrymander the three-point line into whatever shape they want. With <laughs> squiggle lines, I want to see abstract artwork. I just, I want to, you know, to make it something visually fun for us uh, audience. Hey, sure, start there, and if it gets if it gets to be a problem, fix it. But yeah, I mean, give give teams license. I mean, it can be a triangle. It can be whatever. Yeah, it can <laughs> be the we, skyline we, of the city they're put, in. Yeah, what if we put up uh, you put a projector at the very top of the court and periodically throughout the game you shine on on the floor and that's a hot spot. Just like MTV or just like uh what was the uh I think NBA Jam has that uh too kind of hot spots. Yeah. Uh, hot yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Project it like yeah. they do for pregame. Yeah, I think the league should really stop yeah, right. taking itself yeah. so seriously yeah. and acting like it's Congress or something, you know, it's a game. It's really great. It's all in the uh, game. game for Super Nintendo called uh, Looney Tunes Basketball, and they're just throwing pies at each other, spraying <laughs> each other with water. Maybe we introduce some of these concepts into the anchors National are being Basketball dropped. Anvils, you, you know, go outside, climb fences, get your knees dirty, get into trouble. Now, how many moms do you know would tell you to do that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I tell you, I think I think the three point thing and the customization thing is a good idea. Really, it's 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 different than pies. It is. It can sound gimmicky, but I think it's really fresh. And it's also Goldsbury too that I heard that from. I want to go back to Caleb's idea. I mean, what you know, the NBA already has like theme nights. What kind of what kind of theme nights could we do if we have different different uh three-point lines and shapes i mean is there like jackson pollock night and i like the idea that all the players have to dress as clowns one <laughs> real circus town <laughs> get, a, get a couple of elephants out on the court you know i think the refs would really enjoy just a you know six foot eight clown yelling at them over a call <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some people's nightmares <laughs> Some people's daydreams. I, th- I think with the court changing, it should be during uh, when it's not playoffs. You can experiment, but when playoffs happen, you have to like set, pick your set court for the playoffs. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I mean, honestly, I'd be fine with a team just picking at the be- at the beginning of the season, being stuck with it. It would be better than what we have now. <laughs> I do wonder. You really don't like what we have now, huh? I just kind of don't. I mean, I'm having a hard time (laughs) plugging in. I'm having a hard time engaging. I think a lot of what I like is the sort of the the scheming and the 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 finding strengths on your roster and then serving them. 
in one way or another. You know, not everybody. There's only one Steph Curry, right? So if you don't have him, you feel build a court that can support what you do have. Anyway, Nick, Caleb? what what if we what if we take this a step further? Like, what if you could? Um, what if it's not just the three point line, but you can kind of repaint the lines period. And here's, here's where, here, here's <laughs> sure. what, here's what, well, it has to be within the same, like out, the outer lines have to be the same, but everything inside. I don't know though. Do they? Well, yeah, I guess you could, you make it a soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean within um, limits, but okay, let's but say you for, want to run. For this, for the sake of where I'm going, let's say the outer lines have to stay the same, but you could change the free throw line, the key, you know, the three point line. Here's what I'm wondering. I wonder how much shooting, like shooters, you know, it's the whole like uh, muscle memory and all of that. But I wonder how much of it is visual, like visualizing the distance, but how much do those lines play into the muscle memory that you built up? Right. So like an elbow jumper mm-hmm. is the yeah. same everywhere. So what if a team moves it back one foot? Is the other team shooting it like slightly short every time just because their muscle memory is telling them to shoot <laughs> That's it? That's a great question. You, you know, know, get into head games, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I guess back to the point uh, of, you know, being able to customize your floor plan. You give everybody a shot. Everybody, I mean, you can, you know, have an have an eighty twenty home court advantage in any city in the country, which I think would be fun. Could could we create like a three point box? Like you actually have to be sure. inside that little space. Absolutely. Wow, it's, could be a little box like over by the <laughs> score. And just, then you draft. <laughs> You draft a shooter. I mean, the analytics could get really crazy, right? Because they do yeah. those heat they those heat maps of like where guys yeah. shoot really well, and you find a guy who's like really good <laughs> from thirty feet, like on the left side, and you just draw the box there. And the game plan is like create a wall that he stands behind and just launches. <laughs> or if, if you want to just break records, you just overlay the three-point line with the circle under the rim, right? Basically, everything that's not a dunk is a, is a three-pointer. I mean, you, you could do anything. It's mm. the sort of doors that it opens. What do we think about I think I, I, I want to see where people's what? minds go, places that we can't even imagine right now. I would like to see a court where there are uh, steps at half court and the other half of the court is elevated. <laughs> I'd like to, I want to see a game. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and there, and there's, uh, there's also staircase rails, railing. So. Is, do you have to dribble up the steps or can what you I, pick up the ball for that part? So you, can, the- you can slot. Go ahead. I, don't know. I was just going to say one of the, I mean, <laughs> one of the stipulations here would have to be that the half courts would be identical, right? Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm let oh, it so play you out. Could, you couldn't make their three pointer really long and yours really short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the asymmetrical. Yes. <laughs> the asymmetrical courts. That's good. Here's my here's my last pitch. We get. Uh, a guy on stilts, ten feet high, and he's carrying the goal, <laughs> and you can go anywhere on his side of the court. That I like. And that's that's your that's your sixth man on the court. 
One half of the court doesn't have a roof, so it is affected by the water. (laughs) (laughs) We know it's going to snow there. Hey, that would also, you know what? That would also really open it up for for the average fan to be able to attend. (laughs) You have like super primo seats and then like super cheap seats. Right. Can could they do stuff like the other team doesn't have a bench? <laughs> well, you know, teams used to do stuff like that too. I mean, this is teams would have. Uh, you hear in college football about uh, oh, who was it? He would no. This this was in the NHL. There was a coach who would freshly paint the team's other team's locker room right before they showed up every time, so they couldn't wow. go in the locker room. They're just choking on paint fumes. Uh, yeah, the Celtics used to do stuff like that. Yeah, turn off the Make air the showers uh, cold. And, well, didn't yeah. didn't I mean, the Spurs do that by turning off the air conditioning? Maybe. I mean, and for oh. me, that's fair game. That's just a part of it. Iowa paints the entire visitors' locker room pink because they think it makes you soft before the game in college mm. football. So oh. all of that should be in play. You know, it, your your home court advantage should be more than than. Just an idea. I heard a story about, I don't know who, Pacers or Knicks, someone, but the fans would honk their horns at the hotel the team was staying at. <laughs> yeah, hey, so that, that happens the opposing team everywhere. Sleep. That yeah. happens everywhere. And the deeper you get in the playoffs, the cra- and, and when you have one game, a single game elimination like the NFL, it gets crazy. I mean, they'll, they'll set off fire alarms, they'll do anything. Um, They'll play uh, Nick Cage movies all night. All the last <laughs> well, thanks, Nicholas, for letting us do a deep dive into Nicholas's cage. Mr. Malone's got a mailbag. Gonna answer questions with a hashtag. All right, so let's open up Carl Malone's mailbag. We're going to take questions from our listeners. The first one comes from... At Keldon 17 friend of the pod. Who wins if threes don't exist between the Rockets and the Warriors? Whoa, I like that hypothetical. <laughs> All right, so let's start with Keegan since he's already amped to answer. I mean, I don't know what uh, Rockets threes are like because I don't watch, um, don't watch it, but... Uh... <laughs> I like I like the idea of suddenly the the line just goes away. You know, someone unlocked us something, some sort of cheat code was plugged in during uh, the second half, and the three pointers are gone. Um, but I, I'd I'd give it to uh, I'm just gonna pick one Warriors. Sure. <laughs> All right, Nick. Nick, what do you think? Who wins the series without a three point line? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Warriors, I think, would be pretty heavily favored there because of how uh, structured Houston's attack is on sort of the analytic advantage of, of the shooting threes, right? I mean, I, I really think the Warriors are the best, especially when they have the, what, Hampton Five out there, that it's the, it's the best team that's ever played. And that under any conditions, I mean, you, you'd have to go through some really radical changes to disadvantage them against anybody from any era their efficiency with those five guys out there is like 140 something i think this series and from the season is just insane 
What's the Hampton Five? It's the guys who recruited Durant and Durant. <laughs> did you did you just say Durant Durant? <laughs> Durant Durant, yeah. Durant Durant. They caught Keegan. They caught the Hamptons Five because when they recruited him, the meeting was in the Hamptons in New York City. Oh, good. All right. Uh, let's, uh, Ian, what do you think? Rockets, Warriors, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna take the Warriors mainly because they use the mid-range game and that becomes way more valuable with no three-point line. So mm. I'm going to take the Warriors. Rockets don't have a whole lot of experience shooting mid-range jumpers except CP3. Yeah, yeah. So do the Rockets um, have like a best Western five or? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that. Explore that thought a little more. (laughs) Does the team have a Motel six five? And my other question is, do they call analytics for the Rockets? Do they call that Rockets science? Let's move to our next question from uh, at Jared M. Thorne. This, <laughs> this, this one's a little more fun. Uh, who would be your NBA Jam matchup, 76ers versus Raptors? So what would your two versus two lineup be uh, for that playoff series? We'll start with uh, Ian. Mm, man, that's a good one. Okay, for 76ers, I'm more – I think I'm more – have a, have a stronger conviction on who it should be. I would go Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler. I think the size and the versatility of those two would be your best your best lineup. Um, for the Raptors, it's obviously got to be Kawhi. Um, probably going to pass on Lowry. It's too checkered history with the playoffs. Um <laughs> I'm gonna go with the young guy. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with uh, Kawhi and Siakam. I think the, their size, defense, versatility would be a good, good matchup. So yeah, I'll go with Kawhi and Siakam. All right, Nick, who are you taking? Oh, that's what I would have said. Especially if you have Embiid out there, it, it dictates who, you know, you need from Toronto. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, you you might change out Butler for Simmons or something, but yeah, can't argue with that. Man, I thought you so were gonna. You s- I thought you were gonna make a a pitch for T.J. McConnell. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, Keegan, <laughs> what if they have a feature on the game where you you actually can't shoot a three with Ben Simmons? <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it just they know, they, it just goes into pump. <laughs> they know fakes. it's not they're realistic. Just, they're just at pump, all. just a bunch of pump fakes. I mean, think of how much more valuable he would have been in the 80s or 90s where threes weren't such a priority, though, right? He's just oh, in the yeah. wrong era to be this kind of guy. That, that, that have yeah. this game. <laughs> My uh, two-on-two is going to go like this. Uh, Toronto is going to be Kawhi, and it's going to be another Kawhi. That's <laughs> the only player I know for Toronto. And for the Sixers, it's going to be uh, Embiid, and I... Uh, for my other player, I did not skip the typing in your initials portion of NBA Jam. I put in <laughs> W-I-L, and I've unlocked the fresh Prince of Bel-Air, who has excellent stats. So it's Embiid and uh, Will Smith from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Thank you. 
And that's because he's from West Philadelphia, born and raised? Yes. On the playgrounds where he spent most of his days. And he has a lot of numbers that are in the green, you know, 8 to 10 on his stats. He's got that Bel Air prep ball skills. We know he dominated the court on that show. Granted, it's a much smaller court. It's a sitcom court. It is a regulation sitcom court. Oh, if I re- if I remember correctly, on the uh, Will Smith Bel Air sitcom court, uh, they did uh, lower the rim. They probably <laughs> did, and I think it's one row of bleachers. <laughs> Watch it. Hey, did when you when you unlock Fresh Prince, doesn't that also unlock Carlton? So if you need a, a sub in the second half, you could bring him in. Yes, <laughs> you're right. But he, Carlton's a little smaller, so he's he's gonna be your quick man. But <laughs> hey, before you move on, Ian, uh, I just looked up Ben Simmons' uh, three point percentage in his totals because I thought we were being a little hard on him. Do you know how many threes he's attempted in two seasons? Oh man, I, it can't be more I'm, than more than thirty. I'm pretty sure it's single digits, isn't it? No, it's double digits. It's seventeen. Oh. Guess how many wow. of those seventeen he's made? Three. Zero. <laughs> I oh. mean, like you would rather have Dennis Rodman pulling up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he literally is a zero for three. He literally, one would be a courtesy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Our next one, uh, I just want to get a little commentary on a video that circulated. Um, LeBron James' son was playing in an AAU game or a high school game. I'm not sure what it was. But the opposing player hit a three-pointer and then did the Hawkeye slash Jamal Murray arrow shoot towards uh, in LeBron James' direction. So, so uh, Keegan, let's start with you. You got any commentary on this? Let's give a shout-out to who who brought this uh, video to our attention. I'm so sorry. That was uh, at J. Lange Bartles, friend of the pod. <laughs> Man, that is – that's how you shut someone down mentally in a game, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Do you think, do you think uh, Cupid's arrow struck or do you think he missed? <laughs> is it Cupid or Green Arrow? Or Hawkeye, or who? Who's the doing the arrow shooting? Who are they mimicking? Keegan, There's a lot of Keegan. You know, Keegan, the, you have just unlocked the secret pod special. Choose your own adventure. You now get to pick whose arrow it was. Because, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, didn't Her- Hercules probably shot arrows? I know Odysseus shot an arrow. Uh, there's a lot of arrow shooters out there, and if it's Cupid, that means he's falling in love with. LeBron, so I, I don't think it's Cupid. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, say it, I'm gonna say he definitely had more of a Hawkeye or a Green Arrow in that tone of aiming it at his dad. Now I I don't know why you'd aim it at his dad though. I mean he's not the one you're playing against. Um, I I think I think. At the end of the day, the guy didn't score on LeBron, so I don't know why you're shooting an arrow at LeBron. You know what I mean? Yeah, makes sense. I get the like disrespect of like, 
hey, look what I just did to your son. But at the end of the day, you're playing the son and not not the dad. Nick, hmm. Nick what do you, what's your read on the uh, – is it on the sort of – What's your read on daddy disrespect in a basketball on, game? <laughs> on Robin Hood dressing up uh, like a bird so he can win the archery contest. What? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a deep cut for all of our fans out there. Is that from the Disney? Ooh. Is that from the Disney? Version? Oh, ding, 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 ding! Right. We never in the history of lowering the rim have we had two secret unlocks. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not during one segment. So, what are your thoughts, Nick? On Disney's version of Robin Hood, or of people <laughs> firing imaginary arrows into. I think, I think uh, I just don't even the, pay attention to that drama. I, I don't like understand the sort of slights and the. It's got like a kind of playground. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it. it. Doesn't doesn't really register as a slight or as a meaningful gesture. You know. Am I being unfair? Mm-hmm. No, I actually like that. I think it's irrelevant. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. It's just. People turn things into drama that really aren't drama. All right, let's do one more. Um, this one, can an official foul out? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I hope. Sort of. What, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you guys think of that uh, becoming a rule? What's and happened? who would – could it become a rule? And who would um, – I guess who would be giving them foul calls? What's the what last Falcons? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of. I think it happened in the uh, NCAA tournament where refs who missed some big calls basically got cut from the rest of the tournament. Guys who were scheduled mm-hmm. to be in the Final Four basically. I mean, you can say they fouled out by by making some crucial mistakes down the stretch in some important games. Um, but they didn't get ejected mid-game. They got. After they the game. did not, yeah. Yeah, we're talking. Not. We're talking mid game, aren't we? Like, uh, like you have a, a set of reserve refs who are ready to go in <laughs> in case the star refs fell out. Well, the there's been a lot said about the sort of anti ref culture lately, and how hostile even the most decent teams and coaches like Kerr have become. And it's people are saying it's really polluting the game, and they might be right. The last thing you want at that point is to have even more focus turned on the refs and their importance, you know, for outcomes. I don't know what you do. Yeah, it makes you it, it makes you just all at the discipline they must have to be getting berated by the players, the coaches, the fans at just unbelievable uh decibels and they still just are can do their job. It's yeah. crazy. It, do, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. I think they need I've, to bring back Joey Crawford. I was not You're, a Joey Crawford fan. He was sort of. Do you think it's a fair caricature that he's sort of like the uh, David Stern of refs? He just didn't put up with anything. Well, and he uh, he he clearly demonstrated his own level of ego on the court. Yeah, yeah, and he was not kind to the Pistons. You know, he did not like them. Whenever I saw him in the in the lineup, I just was 
you know, you knew what kind of a night it was going to be. Because <laughs> his ego with the Piston players' egos, it was just like, it was not going to work. Having Rashid in his ear is just going to call more fouls. Yeah, they got to build and rip and they got to just build bigger stadiums so they can host all those egos and get them all to fit in there. <laughs> That's it. I wonder if uh, what what do you think of this? The the coaches uh, handpick the refs like you would a jury for a trial. I do like that. Question them and and That's see who might idea. be. It's part of the strategy now, which ref you, you, you want. <laughs> I don't think that's too far off, honestly. I, I, I think customizing, basically allowing, not obviously in the regular season, you, you've got to schedule these guys. But when, when you get to the conference finals and the finals, I absolutely think that if there are two teams who want to run the floor or two teams who want to play physical, they should have the, the right to... Um, personally select and sort of come to agreements on who's going to be on the floor. The problem with that is the league would have to admit that there are different rules depending on who's on the floor. You know, that's why they would be so reluctant to do that. They want to act like everyone's calling it the exact same way and allowing people to choose is an admission. That's not how it works, but yeah, that'd be great. Ian, did you have any thoughts? No, I mean, I think, um, I, this is, unrelated to an official fouling out but I really like the idea of adding a fourth official I think that's the thing that's been coming up a lot with uh, this whole ref controversy and can they see things and all of that although my one the one thing that I would like to see if they do that is man it, it don't have the official who's like at the opposite corner calling a foul on a play that's happening right in front of another official I just can never understand how why that happens. Um, how are you? I mean, I guess unless there's the angle is cut off or something, but I, I just do. I never understand how a guy from the opposite side is calling something when there's somebody right in front of him. It's like, hey, trust your trust your fellow referee. If he doesn't call it, let it go. Feels fishy, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it it's happens the, a lot I, in football. You know, you have a guy. 30 yards away calling, you know, throwing a flag when there's somebody right on top of it who lets it go. It just doesn't feel right. Is the idea of a fourth official just to have another set of eyes or do they yeah. have a different a different assignment? Yeah, I mean, one of the arguments is just because the game is spread out more. Um, officials, the three officials in the angle, like because they have specific spots that they're supposed to be at and in sections yeah. of the court that they're supposed to watch. Um, and so having a fourth official would help you have more eyes on everywhere that the game is played now because it's it's spread out so far. Um, and so that's some of the argument is that three may, was fine when everything was kind of packed in from the three-point line below. But, I mean, you have guys starting their sets like up at the at half court and guys spread out, you know, all behind the three-point line and then – rush into the basket on a play and it's just a lot happening in a in a big space yeah my my hesitancy with that is i wonder if if they added another official if they would uh start calling more fouls and the game is already like sometimes a little too long 
And it would yeah, just well, get it longer does, if, it if there's seem, another official to call more more uh, incidents. Yeah, it does seem like I bet the competition committee is going to work on trying to clarify what is and isn't a foul in this offseason because it seems like they're at the same place that um, the NFL has been the last few years where what is and isn't a catch. And especially with how much contact is initiated on the offense now, I think that's really muddied the waters on like on what is and isn't a foul. Um, the probably the cleanest thing that I've, I think is a positive that they landed on is the verticality rule when a guy drives, and if you jump straight up, that if you are the offensive player and you make contact, it's not a foul on the defender because he's just jumping straight up. Well, they need all of that with like landing zones and um, you know. Uh, guarding a guy when you're both going kind of sideways towards the basket, like you're in front of him, but you're both sideways and then he lowers his shoulder and it's automatically a foul on you. You know, all of that stuff just seems super gray. I think that's what they have to really define is what is and isn't a foul. Yeah. And a lot of that just seems like common sense, right? You own your space, whether you're on offense or defense, the space over you, under you is yours. And the space yeah. next to you or between you and the offensive player, if you get there first, it's it's yours. And if he initiates yeah. contact in that space, it's not your fault, right? Well, and, and that's what bothers me on the rip-through calls. It's like, so oh, you're saying as a defender, just. I can't hold my hand out here because if you rip your arm through where my hand is already located and I didn't slap down, I didn't move my hand, you just ripped your mm-hmm. arm through mine, then that's a foul on me. Like, I think that's a big... It's that, that's a that's a big error in the game, and that's where I'm saying the verticality is actually the best thing that they've got because they've said what you just said that uh, the player owns that space, and as long as they don't slap down on the player, if the offensive player jumps into you, it's not a foul on you because you you own that space and you can jump straight up and try to contest the shot, and you know it's not it's not a foul. They just have to you do saw- that in these other situations. Yeah, you saw Cuban's tweet on the side-to-side stuff, right? Uh-uh. So he's, I'm sure, been fine since, but, uh, oh man, I mean, I, I, I want to get his exact wording right here, but it's, it's part of why you love him is he, he'll, he'll just call it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, let me see here. I want to just... He was referencing how, I, well, I believe he was referencing how shooters will jump up to shoot, mm-hmm. but they'll jump side. They mm-hmm. jump sideways so that they'll get a defender up you know in how, the air and then jump into it now, sideways. Yeah, exactly. Which is clearly no one shoots a shot like that at all. So this is his uh, tweet. It's on the NBA competition committee to get rid of uh, to get rid of the side to side foul. The defender has every right to the space. Offensive players are smart enough to take advantage of this. It's not on the refs. It's league stupidity. Mm. So, um, and he's just talking about yeah, he's just talking about players who shoot a jump shot and they basically veer off to the right or the left at, while they're shooting or after they're shooting. Yeah, well, they it's deviate the, it's from the a specific. Move. It's the specific example of them. Because the defender's taught to jump sideways so that they can contest without hitting, right. like without running head on into the shooter. 
But once they're up in the air, obviously they can't, they can't do anything anymore. And then the shooter jumps sideways into the defender, and then they call that a shooting foul, which is a joke. Right. Yeah, there has to be a return to common sense regarding attempts to score. You know, attempts to shoot instead of draw fouls. And the, the, the one of the problems with, with coming up with really rigid definitions for stuff is you prevent refs from making common sense calls. Just looking at a guy like that and saying he's not trying to score, you know. He just jumped yeah, they, three they, feet they... to the right. You kind of want to uh, leave the refs with that margin to just say, no, like not buying it. I'm not yeah. bound by mm-hmm. the rule to give this to you because you entered, you know, because of that, you know, 3-2.1 on page 470, whatever. <laughs> you know, you can just trust the ref as a human being with common sense to just look away from that stuff. Harden stops going to the line all game. You know, he stops um, counterfeiting um, and really damaging the integrity of the game. You know, I mean, and, and everyone else does too. You, you can't blame him. You can't blame the refs for calling it like they do. Like Cuban said, it's a league problem. I'm actually going to cut that all, but that would be, that could have been a good. <laughs> it's just too long, but that could have been a good Nicholas's cage, though. You should revisit that in Nicholas's cage. Those are the kind of things we want you to bring to the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Lowering the Rim. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lowering the Rim and feel free to email us your fan questions, loweringtherim at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.